millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome back. My name is Todd Edelton. Today we're going to hear from one of our one name only guests. If you are a longtime listener, you know this is often how we do things to protect uh, the identities, to protect the security of those who are telling their stories to us. Bob has been connected to gospel work in North Africa for more than 20 years. For his security, we're going to alter his voice. So you may notice it sounds a little different. You may also notice from the sound that that we were recording not in a nice studio in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. We were recording in a uh, not a soundproof room. Um, so you will hear some extra noises on this. But I hope you'll listen closely and hear about how God is at work in North Africa and how you can pray for the believers in this region of the world. I asked Bob how freedom for Christians has changed over the 20 years that he has been connected to gospel work in North Africa. Well, it kind of goes in cycles, actually. And it seems like it's been in 10-year cycles. And it's driven by uh, politics most of the time rather than uh, spiritual force. Well, we know the spiritual force, but the reasons are usually uh, political or sometimes uh, just maybe a particular a group of people gets upset about what's going on. But yeah, we've seen some tough times for the believers and sometimes like right now when there's nothing going on and they're fairly free to go about doing what they do with discretion, not in the open, but there's nothing hindering the kingdom work and these folks sharing their faith and discipling others. Nothing is really hindering that as long as you don't try to do it publicly. Can you give me an example of what would be too public? Well, having a building and that would not work, but people meet in homes and in, in the field or in the woods or not, not like hiding out necessarily, but just looking like you're having a picnic. And the government seem to be, most of the time, except when that cycle comes, okay with that. Not, they wouldn't endorse it, but they wouldn't necessarily do anything about it. So when there is trouble for like a new believer, if it's not the government, is it Typically, their family. Yeah, look different ways. Sometimes, you know, you know, if the old saying, "If mama ain't happy, nobody happy." So, the mother will sometimes be very disappointed, in the, or the father. But sometimes it's people being very zealous for the local religion, but many times it's just, "Well, you're not like us anymore." So, a young person coming home and telling their parents, "I've decided to follow Christ," would be almost equivalent to uh, a young person coming home in. Uh, you know, in America and saying, well, I've decided to join uh, Bin Laden. It's the same effect for them. It's, it's shocking and, and, well, you're doing something different than us. We want everybody to be conformed, you know, in the family and unified, therefore unified. So then let's assume that that family is very devout in the local religion and, they, and they've taken religious offense to this. What do they do to try to, as they would say, guide them to the right path? Well, there are the extremes like uh, having the 
uh, imam come in, the religious leader, and, and maybe put a lot of pressure on them, re-educate them, or uh, sometimes sending them to a psychiatric hospital and giving drugs. That doesn't happen very often, but it happens. The other thing that happens is sometimes they're expelled from the family. But even in that case, what we see happen most of the time is that if believers persevere and they continue to be a light, they follow Christ, and the family sees their life, most of the time, the family eventually accepts them. And in many cases, we're seeing more cases, the other people in the family come to know Christ. So a man and his wife, I mean, they were both Muslims, as everyone is, and he heard the good news and came to follow Christ. And his wife was not necessarily highly knowledgeable about the religion, but she was definitely against anything else. So when he uh, began to talk about it, uh, she was very upset and uh, really gave him a hard time and uh, was pretty angry. It's interesting to hear her tell the story now. She says, oh, I was, I was really mean. She was uh, very unkind to him and made life hard for him. But what won her over, of course, the, the Holy Spirit, but also seeing her husband, his love for her, through that time that she was being so mean to him. And uh, she, she has come to Christ, and she is a strong leader among the ladies in that area now, and he's a strong leader among the men. How long of a process was that, from, from him coming to faith to her coming to faith? Was that? Seems like about four or five years. Wow. So you're saying that, that that's not uncommon when one person comes. Mm -hmm. It happens with children and parents as well. Uh, I know a mom that's come to the Lord, um, even though she was very angry with her son, and uh, he just kept living that life. He, of course, he shared with her. She's got to hear the message, but it's then really it's what takes over is you just have to keep living the life and show that you actually believe what you've said. Is there something that consistently sort of flips the switch at the end of that process, or is it simply that consistency of responding with love and living the life. Yes, we see the process, what happens is first it's, okay, well, we're not gonna totally reject you, you know, because I think many people in this culture, the family is so important. Even though they, they're really upset with what they're doing, and not having them around is worse. So they eventually, okay, you can be around, just we don't wanna hear about that stuff, you know. But then <laughs> they become interested because they see a change in the person's life. For, at first they're like, you're weird, but okay, if that's working for you. And then they begin to see more that, oh, that is working for you. And this is a story, a common story anywhere in the world, right? And then the person starts to show interest in it. Maybe they watch their things on satellite television they can watch, or Christian broadcasts or uh, something on the internet nowadays. And then maybe the person, uh, in that process where the person comes to Christ, uh, then wants to talk about it. And we've seen people come to Christ m many times. Not, not all the time, of course. Some people actually do get expelled from the family. Uh, but I think if all the th people I can think of, there are very few who have remained ostracized from the family long term. But I will say this, when a person, when they compromise, it never ends. The persecution never ends. So what would be some examples of that kind of compromise? When the person tries to play both fields, you know, or be a Muslim and be a Christian, you know, and but they know, everybody knows that. I'll tell you another story that illustrates this. So a very dear brother who's a leader in a certain area, 
he and others were called in to the police and were being interrogated quite a bit and uh, in the heat of the summer and Ramadan it was just a rough time and so the police asked two of these guys uh, one they said are you fasting because it was Ramadan and he said uh, he said no he said um, I'll follow a different way another guy they asked him are you fasting and he said yes and they said why are you fasting if you believe this so compromise never helps I mean for practical purposes to make things easier on themselves, it doesn't. You mentioned the internet, you mentioned satellite TV. Are those producing a lot of fruit? Or when someone finally makes the decision, is it typically because of a one-on-one? God is using the media in a great way at this, uh, in this time in history uh, when it's available. Satellite television, radio, internet, of course, but I would say the minority of the time that someone actually makes a decision as a result of only having contact with media. It's still true that uh, God needs a uh, spirit-filled, warm body to share, you know, and, and lead the person because it's a process. You need someone to walk along beside you and, and answer your questions and, and walk you through the process. That's what, uh, I think that's what Jesus described. How do you prepare new believers for the potential of pressure, the potential of being ostracized by their family. How do, how do you kind of get them ready to face that and not give up and not compromise? Great question, because that is part of the discipleship. You know, it's a, a part that's maybe missing from our usual discipleship in our country, right? Uh, maybe in, needful in the future, but it is a part of preparation. And, you know, looking at things like, you know, Matthew 10, where uh, Jesus says, tells the disciples, when you stand before governors, you stand before the leaders, don't worry about what you're going to say, but it will be given you what to say at that time. Uh, we talk about uh, uh, Acts 4 with uh, the disciples being, you know, put in prison, and but then they say, you know, they say, okay, we'll let you out, just stop doing this. He said, well, is it better to obey God or men? Um, so we cover those scriptures, and, and uh, they need to know what they're getting into. In fact, that's in the evangelism process. As Jesus said, uh, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Uh, but know that it's it's worth it. How much sharing among the believers is there of those stories? Because I think one, one of the ways we prepare, we hear the stories of other people who have already walked that road. You mentioned the disciples in Acts. And mm-hmm. Do those stories mm-hmm. filter through the different fellowships and hear about, oh, this person faced this, but they stayed faithful. Are those stories shared among the believers there? Yes, they are. In fact, I know one man who's one of the leaders I was mentioning a while ago who has uh, recorded that uh, for people, his testimony. Yeah, it's, it's shared as part of it. And But they, they know they're going to get into it, but they need some inspiration. Hey, you can get through it. You mentioned like there's a 10-year cycle of, of pressure that builds up. How do international workers think about that in terms of their own safety, in terms of their long-term plans? How how do they filter through those questions? Well, um, everyone um, working in these countries has a job, and uh, they do their jobs. And if there's a time that comes as a result of being who we are and, and sharing our faith, a time of persecution comes because of that. We just need to trust the Lord. Just We need to practice what we preach, right? It seems like it's not something they lose a lot of sleep over, the, 
the possibility that, hey, tomorrow your visa gets canceled, you can't live here anymore, or next week, or it, it doesn't seem like it's something that they spend a lot of time fretting about. Mostly, no, you can't live like that. What are the needs of local believers in, in this program? Well, you know, in one way, the same needs as believers all over the world to be taught the Bible faithfully, to be encouraged and, and loved. And, and the main thing is that they are doing it for each other, not, uh, not foreigners. I'm interested in how the body of Christ becomes the family, like in situations where the family is pushing someone away, does the, the fellowship become their family? What does that look like? Yes, the, the fellowship, of course, you know, as anywhere, needs to become a family. And, and often, really, for, for them, as well as uh, people I can think of uh, back home, when you're ostracized by the family because of your faith, then this is the only family you have. But besides that, it uh, needs to be our family, that, that we care about each other. We don't just get together and have a meeting, but we live life together and, and love each other and walk with each other through difficulties. And that's a growing process. In the, in the early stages of the church growth, becoming a family is a challenging process, isn't it, anywhere, and trust. Is that accentuated in a place where there is persecution? Yeah, but uh, usually a new person has met with others individually, and by the time they join, the group uh, have been, not vetted, but have been discipled uh, a bit, and, and their faith is clear, and they've, they've confessed, and, you know. How is it for leadership development? How big of a need is that? What does that look like in, in the context of this part of the world? Well, of course, vital as anywhere, but it, maybe it looks a little different, uh, whereas in the West, tend to send people to seminaries, things like that, Bible school. And then there is some of that here, but I think it's much better to locally just teach people the Word. And you can go deeper in the Word. We don't have to have an institution of higher learning. There are plenty of resources uh, that we can help people with and give people biblical background and, and things like that. It's what, what people really need, uh, understanding the Scriptures. And that can be done individual basis or in groups. I personally believe it's been somewhat detrimental. Uh, some people may disagree with me who might hear this uh, in this part of the world, but I, I believe it has been somewhat detrimental sending people out to go to institutions of higher learning for training. An awful lot of them don't come back. There's that, and they, or they come back with the baggage that we're trying to avoid. In many cases in hostile and restricted nations, the, the training happens concurrently with putting it into action. <laughs> so you get trained, then you put it into action, then you get more training, then you put that into action, as opposed to, like you say, pulling somebody out of their context and spend four years over here and now come back and see what you've got. Jesus didn't send anybody off to seminary. He just walked alongside them taught them. Of course, other we were small. Well, you're not Jesus, but we're supposed to be like him. Um, many of our listeners would have Muslim friends or co-workers or fellow students. How would you advise them to reach out and, and take steps towards communicating the gospel? We need to love people and listen to people. 
our model, I think, is uh, Jesus with the woman at the well. He didn't start out talking. He started out listening, asking her questions and what was about her life. He showed that he was interested in what was going on with her. And uh, then he gave her the, the solution, the answer to what her issues were. Now, I know we don't go around just giving people solutions on that, but, you know, Jesus is the answer. People will share if you listen, if you're ready to listen to them. They may even share about their religion or whatever it is, but just listen. And then you have an opportunity to share uh, from your heart as well. And it's an interchange. It's not, we're talking, you know, no one is trying to pressure someone else to believe something. That shouldn't happen anywhere in the world because uh, it's the Holy Spirit who draws people. Uh, Jesus draws people to himself. Believers simply provide the information, <laughs> the way, the gospel, and it is the power unto salvation. And people don't need to criticize Islam. And, and, and now this is my opinion. Some people might disagree with this, but Christians should talk about Christ. And we don't need to criticize other religions. Or We need to provide the truth. And a person has to judge what they believe is the truth. It seems like one of the factors in Islam is it's a fear-based religion. It's the fear of Allah, the fear of doing the wrong thing. How does that play into ministry and outreach in this part of the world and the way it happens to kind of answer some of those fears? People in this area certainly have a lot of things that they fear, not only to do with the uh, established religion, but also with uh, fear of spirits and uh, bad omens and of other people and of what's going to happen. And, uh, and when people don't know Christ, I mean, those things are amplified, aren't they? And so the folks who have come to know Christ in this area, that seems to be the number one benefit for them is no fear. So we want to equip people to pray how can people pray practically for this part of the world? The, the number one prayer on my mind is to reach all those people who have not had the chance to hear. That's the story of the 1040 window in this part of the world, is there are so many who have even had the chance to hear the gospel to reject it or accept it. So the, so the need to hear, pray for leaders, people to be uh, among the, the local Christians to be called to be, uh, we call it initiators, you know, of course, pastors and, and teachers, and to take initiative to help others. Uh, for many people who don't even have a translation of the Bible in their heart language. So the word has got to go out, and we need the translation of the Bible so that people have something to tell. You mentioned people being instigators. Do you find that, that for most new believers that comes naturally as they experience freedom in Christ as they make the transition and mm -hmm. find the truth. For most of them, is it pretty natural to say, hey man, I, I need to tell you about this. I've just found this and it's true and it's real. Or because of the possibility of pressure and persecution, are they a little quiet? We've seen some folks who are really uh, taking the initiative as far as sharing with others uh, what they found. And they know how to do it without offending without, uh, well, the gospel offends itself, but without us offending unnecessarily. 
uh, they know how to talk to people and see if they're interested because many are interested and we know several uh, believers who uh, each one of them have like a little group of uh, seekers around them that they regularly talk to and that's what it takes to it's not just a one-time share people are interested people are open why is that is there one big reason or is there a lot of little reasons probably many reasons maybe we're just in a time in a season where you know the world seems unstable or, or we're aware of it anyway more because of media and uh, all the things going on people are seeking some solace some peace you know and not to mention that uh, of course uh, people always are seeking peace aren't they ultimately and if they aren't finding it in what they have and what they believe then you want to seek it somewhere else if someone listening to this maybe feels a call to this part of the world to come and work here is there advice that you would give them about preparation or kind of how how their mind should be set as they mm -hmm. think about that and pray about that and pursue that mm -hmm. well uh, i found that uh, when god calls you somewhere he gives you a love for those people before you even go that's the first thing and they're on your mind and he doesn't let you forget about it and then become as knowledgeable as possible about the culture and the country even before you go there and when you're there put in every effort to learn the heart language of the people not just to get around but to actually hear them like Jesus did with the woman at the well to understand what their problems are and the scripture is the same of course uh, it's, it doesn't change with culture but maybe people's needs vary and understanding them and be able to listen to them and be able to answer their questions and, and, uh, and to explain the scriptures so that people can understand. People need to make learning the language and the culture you know, job number one. Of course, you know, loving God and, and uh, walking with Him and knowing the scripture. But you think about the job of someone who wants to uh, help people know about Christ is to learn the Bible all over again in another language. We've been hearing this week from Brother Bob, someone who's been connected to gospel work in North Africa for decades. For his security, we've disguised his voice. We have intentionally been vague about some of the details of the stories we've shared. But God knows exactly where Brother Bob is. He knows exactly where those that he works with are located. So would you be praying for them this week? Pray that the gospel will spread in power in North Africa. And wherever we are, we can do what Brother Bob does. We can listen to people. We can love people. We don't have to argue, but we can share the hope that we have found in Christ. And we can pray that the Holy Spirit will use what we share. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.